listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Another reminder that next Tuesday, February 25th, you have a chance to come out and watch the next debate in the presidential Democratic primaries with some folks from here at WDET. WDET's news director, Jerome Vaughn, will be there. Reporter Jake Neer and other DET staffers will join and talk a little trivia and a little politics before the debate starts and then watch the debate with you. That is going to happen February 25th at Hopcat in Midtown Detroit. Also, Latino USA, a show that you hear right here on WDET on Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 10 p.m., is coming to Detroit. I'm going to join host Maria Inahosa at the Senate Theater in Southwest Detroit on Wednesday, March 4th at 7 p.m. We're going to have a conversation about politics, about Detroit, about Southwest Detroit, about immigration, and lots of other subjects. That program is going to be recorded for the In the Thick podcast. You can find information about both events at wdet.org slash events. It has never been easier to get your DNA tested to find out all kinds of things about yourself, where your family comes from, what your ethnic makeup is, what genetic diseases you might be at risk of contracting, or who your biological relatives might be. Services like 23andMe and Ancestry.com advertise all over the airwaves and online to let you know they can find out a wealth of information from just a simple saliva sample. But with the proliferation of the mail-in DNA testing industry comes a whole new set of issues for customers to process and cope with, especially when they get results that they're not expecting. We're going to spend the entire hour today talking about these scenarios and what they mean. And we're going to start today with the story of Laura Khalil. Laura was born in 1980 and grew up an only child. And it wasn't until the emergence of home DNA tests that she learned something that would forever change her idea of family. This is her story. I'm the whitest Arab you'll ever meet. Blonde hair, green eyes, and skin so pale, I think they invented SPF 70 specifically for me. I'm an only child, born in 1980. Dad's Egyptian and mom's Lebanese. I've always felt different from the Middle Eastern community I grew up in. In 2013, I did 23andMe. The results showed that I was 50% Middle Eastern and 50% European. I mean, I guess that made some sense because the French colonized Lebanon. I figured I was just a fair-skinned Arab woman. Five years went by. Then, one day, I received an email on 23andMe from a woman named Anlin Addis. Hi, Laura. I haven't quite figured out the right words for this, but it looks like we share a significant amount of DNA. I'd love the opportunity to talk further with you, but appreciate that receiving and processing this type of information may be different for you. Please feel free to reach out if or when you're interested. Take care. I was shocked. I was confused and I had questions. Did my dad have an affair? Was I adopted? I asked my parents about it, and they admitted a secret they'd kept for 37 years. My dad was not my biological father. A few months later, 
Liz Mesberg became the second half sibling to contact me. Here's Liz. I think the feeling for me, the closest I can, the closest comparison would be like finding out that I was having a baby. I remember just like jumping up and like running around my house and having all of this nervous energy like, oh my God, oh my God. (laughs) Over the next year, I heard from seven other people. Gwen, Liz Kay, Dana, Sean, Katie, Kristen, and Nick. We were all born between 1980 and 1986. And we all shared, as Anlin put it, a significant amount of DNA. They're my half-siblings. We share a sperm donor. For the first time in my life, I'm a big sister. All of them, except me, were born to single moms. But we all had the same question. Here's Liz. I mean, I think that the penultimate ending to this story is finding out who the donor is. And it might be something that I have to live with, like figuring out how to live with that uncomfortableness. I've done it for 34 years, being like, I don't know anything about that part of my family. There was only one person who might be able to answer that question. We all knew our parents went to the same OBGYN. Our moms told us his name was Dr. Taylor. I set off to the hospital I was born at to find out more. The receptionist at the hospital, she actually remembered him and gave me the address and phone number of his private practice. Suite 200, okay. His name, Donald M. Taylor, MD, is right on the um, board here. So we are in the right spot. Hi, Um, I'm doing a story for WDET on sperm donation in the 1980s. Dr. Taylor was, it's actually a personal story. Dr. Taylor was my doctor who actually helped conceive of me through sperm donation. Okay, I was told he might be here at the end of the week. Is there a way I can get in touch with him? Thank you so much. Okay, so no Dr. Taylor, but I've got his cell phone number now. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Hi, this message is for Dr. Taylor. Dr. Taylor, my name is Laura Khalil. Uh, You helped my parents conceive of me via sperm donor in 1979 and understand that you were actually quite a pioneer in artificial insemination of single women in the 80s. I would love to talk more with you about this. Um, I never thought I'd hear from him. But he actually called me back, and we arranged to meet. My name is Donald Taylor. I am a board-certified OBGYN physician. I've delivered over 7,000 babies. Dr. Taylor was also doing something few other doctors in the area would do in the 1980s, helping single women get pregnant by artificial insemination. I can't remember who because I don't keep those kinds of records, but somebody was single and wanted to attend. a pregnancy by artificial insemination. So I thought long and hard about it, and I felt really that that patient at that time, I was felt there, there should be no reason to deny her the privilege of being pregnant. So I just felt that if the technology was available to us at that time, that I would offer it. But the mothers of my half-siblings, they weren't just single women. Almost all were lesbians. And in the 80s, it was nearly impossible for lesbians to find a doctor that would help them conceive. 
homosexuality was still classified as a mental disorder back then. There were even stories through the grapevine of lesbians having their children taken away from them. This is Susan Seberg, Liz Mesberg's mom. I'm not sure what to call Susan. There's no word for it, so let's go with my half-sister's mom. I never went a day of my life that I didn't want children and assumed that I would have them. I wasn't sure how I was going to pull this off. Eventually, Susan's best friend heard something that gave her hope. A baby had been born to a lesbian by way of artificial insemination. So she calls me up and tells me, she says, oh my God, she's had this baby. We have to go examine this baby and make sure she has like, you know, 10 fingers and 10 toes. And when the baby was about six months old, we went over to see this adorable baby who turns out to be your sister, Gwen. Oh, my God. She was the first one. I want to make sure you caught that. (laughs) She was the first one. My sister, Gwen, she was the first known baby born to a lesbian in Ann Arbor. That was in 1982. It was a big deal. News of Gwen's birth spread quickly throughout southeast Michigan. Dr. Taylor became the doctor to go to if you were a lesbian who wanted to get pregnant. This is Susan again. There was like nine or ten of us over about a three- or four-year period of time. And we knew each other or we knew of each other. And as the babies were born, we be- we created like a support group and we would meet, you know, every week or two. The moms would talk and the children would play together. And nobody knew who their biological fathers were. They became known as the Taylor babies. Susan again. Did you ever suspect that the babies, the Taylor babies in your mom's group, were related? Well, we totally joked about it. We joked about it their whole lives. They joked about it their whole lives. Many of my half-sisters grew up with one another, not knowing they were actually related. There are even pictures of them together as little kids playing. Many of them went to high school together. Liz remembers being in daycare with a few of the Taylor babies. Dana was there. Um, Katie was there. Anlin was there. Liz and Katie were best friends before they knew they were sisters. I mean, it sounds corny, but I have always been just like her number one fan. Um, Even as a little kid, I mean, we're a year apart, so I remember just begging my mom to take me over to Katie's house. Liz's family moved to the West Coast when Liz was little, but she came back to Michigan for college. She was one of the first people that I reconnected with in Ann Arbor, and we just basically picked off where we left off and started, you know, hanging out a lot, and then we ended up living together for almost two years. We shared a house. And we just got even closer than we'd ever been as kids. Um, And she was a bridesmaid in my wedding. Katie was even a bridesmaid in Liz's wedding. The whole time, they never knew they were siblings. It amazes me at how easy it's been to become good friends with my sisters. We share a great sense of humor. Many of us talk daily. And as for quirks... Well, a few of us love Kellogg's Cracklin' Oat Bran. And though I'll probably never know who the donor is, I'm cool with that. I already have a dad that has always treated me exactly like his own daughter. I'm happy that a piece of my identity has finally been solved. We all define family in different ways. Sometimes you're born into a family. 
sometimes you choose them, and sometimes family emails you out of the blue and you find out you have a sister or eight. Who am I? I'm an Egyptian Lebanese American. I'm a storyteller, funny lady, public speaker, and now I'm a big sister to eight sisters and one brother, and maybe more. Only time will tell. That delightful story was told by Laura Khalil and produced by David Lyons as part of the WDET Storymakers program. You can see photos of the sisters from this story together as kids before they knew they were siblings at WDET.org. And I know you have stories to share. What have you learned from DNA testing? Has it surprised you? Has it horrified or delighted you? Call us at 313-577-1019 and or send us an email at storymakers at WDET.org. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Laura Khalil is going to join me here in the studio. And we'll hear from a counselor who helps people through the experience of unexpected DNA results. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I am really glad you have joined us. We're talking today about DNA surprises, the things that you can learn from places like 23andMe or Ancestry.com that maybe you didn't expect to learn about yourself, about your family, about who else you might be related to. We just heard the really, really delightful story of Laura Khalil uh, and her journey to learning about who her family is uh, through DNA testing. And we are joined now by Laura, who is a Metro Detroit storyteller and public speaker who found out at age 37 that the father she'd known for decades was not her biological parent and that she had nine siblings she didn't know she was related to. Laura, welcome to the studio. Thanks so much for having me. It's it a pleasure was, to be here. It was so great to hear your story, but it is also great to have you here in the studio. Also joining us is Brianne Kirkpatrick. She is a genetic counselor and DNA consultant and founder and president of Watershed DNA. Brianne, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Glad to be here. And again, we really want to hear from listeners this hour I know lots of people have this experience in one way or another. Lots of people are, of course, uh, finding out about their DNA <clears throat> through this new technology and these services that are very easy to participate in. Call and tell us what your experience was. Did you learn something that you didn't know about yourself or your family through a DNA test? And tell us what effect it has had on your life. Has it had a really positive effect in the sense of introducing you to family members that you didn't know before? Uh, has it horrified you in some ways uh, because you learned about things that were perhaps painful or difficult to in integrate into the life that you already have? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today 
and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Laura, I'm going to begin with you. We heard your story, but walk us through what this experience was like from the beginning and when you got that message from your half-sister. Tell us about the emotions that were involved. Yeah, I was extremely stunned. As I said in the story, I'd been on 23andMe for five years and primarily for the sort of health testing that they did in Ancestry Info. So when I received that information, I was stunned to hear from Anlin. I didn't understand it. And I was really confused. And it shakes the foundation of who you think you are and where you think you came from. And to be quite honest with you, it took me many months to reckon with it and to be able to even speak about it without crying or feeling, not because I was angry, but because I was shocked. Hmm. So, and, and talk about over time, how those emotions have played out among your sisters. That's a lot of people to try to integrate into your life or incorporate into your life in some way. And I, you know, there's, there's obviously this moment of joy at the discovery, but, but welcoming somebody into your family that way is not always easy. I mean, there's a process that's involved. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, well, I'll describe it. The first time that I met Ann Lynn, we met for dinner, and it felt very much like we were set up on a blind date. Hmm. And so we were sort of told in a way, okay, you two should really meet. (laughs) And all right, so we met, and we had a really nice time. And as I've come to find with all of the siblings, they're very eloquent, accomplished, intelligent individuals. And like anyone, you you get to know them. And you think, okay, well, they seem interesting. Let me see what more I can learn. And so we have made a very intentional effort to get to know one another, which, you know, other people don't have to do, Mm. right? You could just say, oh, cool info. Bye. Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. But we have chosen to become friends. Yeah. What about your parents? What's their reaction been to all of this? My parents, the reason that they did not share this information with me is because they really wanted to make it very clear that I was their child and that there was no question of that, even though my dad and I look very different. Mm. And frankly, if we didn't look so different, I don't know that I would have done 23andMe in the first place. But their reaction is they're happy that I have siblings. They're happy that I've discovered a new part of my family, especially as an only child, and as my parents get older, they're excited for that. And I'm still their kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really that's really great. Um, uh, uh, Brienne, uh, how long have you been going doing this work? Uh, and tell us, has it become more common since consumer DNA lists are becoming increasingly popular and accessible? Is this just something that is is growing in frequency uh, among people who who send their DNA? a way to be tested. Yes. Yeah. These unexpected DNA discoveries are definitely common and growing more common. I've been doing my work to support people who've gotten surprises for over four years. And I would say there's been uh, an explosion in the past one or two years of people reaching out to me saying, I made this family discovery and, you know, what, what can I do? Is there support for me? You know, what, what now? And and talk through the emotional side of this from a counselor's perspective. I, I imagine that you see a wide range of 
emotional responses from people who learn things that, again, sometimes are are wonderful surprises, but but sometimes maybe very difficult to process. Yes, so I'm a genetic counselor, and so I'm specialized in, in understanding the ethics and the emotions and the family impact around DNA testing specifically. And some of our you know partners in the psychology field have done uh, more of the studies into this idea of identity disruption. Uh, so Paulette Bethel was the first psychologist to coin this term that when you discover from a DNA test that you're not related to family the way that you thought or there's somebody new that's coming into your family as a DNA relative, it leads to a period of, of a disruption in your identity and how people deal with that is different. But there's definitely some similarities to um, cycles of grief and cycles of uh, trauma and it really takes time and it takes work and um, not everybody gets there at the same pace, but it's definitely an, a kind of a, a new, uh, we're learning more about this new type of uh, coping with DNA results and it's happening not just for people who discover their parentage is different, but it's affecting the bio dads that are discovered, mm-hmm. their wives, siblings in the family, uh, there's people keeping secrets that are realizing they need to share them. So there's a lot of different people all that can all be affected by one, one secret. Mm. Uh, again, we want to hear from you listeners about your experience with DNA testing. Have you learned something by testing your DNA that you didn't know about yourself, that you didn't know about your family? And tell us what that experience was like. Was that something that you would describe as a positive experience, something that enriched your life by changing your family or maybe adding to it? Or was it something that was difficult to process? Did it unearth a truth, perhaps, in your family that didn't exactly make you comfortable? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Micheline on Twitter says, I tried Ancestry and was very surprised to learn that I was Swedish. In subsequent emails, Ancestry corrected the results and told me I was exactly what I was, French, Latvian, and British with roots in Quebec. I wonder how many wrong results people <clears throat> receive. Uh, that's a great question, Brianne. Uh, this is very serious kinds of information, maybe life-altering information that people are receiving. Do you come across instances where there are mistakes that get made that then later have to be corrected. Yeah, so there's a, a couple of different reasons for you know, why, why a test comes back with shocking or unexpected results. I actually wrote an ebook that I call Could the DNA Test Be Wrong? Because that's the most common question that I would say people come to, with, come to me first asking, you know, is there any way this could be wrong? So um, I tried to address all of the different reasons. You know, the most common reasons are, um, you know, a family discovery or secret. Mm-hmm. Other common reasons are the, um, the company doesn't have complete information on every ethnic group around the world, and so they're constantly updating their information and the algorithms they use to calculate someone's ethnicity. Uh, there are some other, like, really rare reasons why the DNA test could be wrong, like biological reasons. 
Um, and those are, they're so rare that they're really not going to be the situation for most people. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I do, I do address all of those. And um, sometimes it just takes understanding the DNA a little bit better to understand why, um, why it looks wrong, but maybe is not wrong. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We've got a lot of folks who have stories to share. So let's start with Nick in Flint. Nick, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Go ahead, Nick. Well, um, in uh, 2018, um, a friend of mine bought me a DNA test. And I sent it in and found out that I had nine sisters, including Laura Khalil. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) Hi, Nick. Hi there. Um, So, Nick, tell us about your reaction to that news. How, how 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 did this affect you when you learned that your family was a lot bigger than you thought it was? Well, I was I was very surprised. Obviously, uh, I was um, born to a single mother, and um, I was an only child. And you know, my mother was very open with me. So the fact that um, I was born by artificial insemination wasn't a surprise. Hmm. But finding out that I had siblings was a surprise, <laughs> and uh, it, it was. It, I don't, when I first found out, it was just one of those, those anxious, you know, um, Laura was emailed me back. I emailed, I, I believe it was Laura, uh, Liz, Gwen, and Dana that I found on Ancestry. Okay. And Laura was one of the first to email me back and say, Hey, so I don't know if you know this about your about yourself, but let me tell you <laughs> what's going on here. Yeah, and so it wasn't it, you know it wasn't the, the surprise factor as far as knowing how I came to be conceived, but but certainly um, that I had sisters. I grew up always wanting siblings, so. Wow. So now I have an entire gaggle. Now you have more than most people do. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's a really cool that's a really cool story and it's a really good dimension of of Laura's story which of course we've heard. Uh, Nick, I'm really glad you called and shared that. Uh, let's go to Debbie in Detroit. Debbie, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I just wanted to say I'm an adoptee. So I lived and I knew about it my whole life, no big surprise. And when I was 18, you know, I started on that journey here in Michigan. Uh, I was adopted during the closed record period, okay. which is like a, a a big amount of 35 years of no records for these people. So I went kind of the old-fashioned way, right? And I found my birth mother, found, uh, you know, got a really, had a relationship with her and so on. It wasn't until Ancestry came along. Now I know who my birth father was. And there are three half-siblings there, but I have not reached out to them yet. I found out that my birth father is deceased, but there are three siblings that I'm I'm on the fence 
<laughs> going, hmm, because that whole identity disruption thing, it is a thing. Huh. And and I know many, many adoptees, many, many birth parents from my work with uh, Michigan Searching for years, for decades. And I know many people who have had those feelings because, you know, surprise, here's a, here's a new family member. And for some reason, people often think it's a, you know, add water and stir and you have an instant family. (laughs) And that's not the case. You know, sometimes it is. Sometimes there's a wonderful, you know, bonding immediately. And sometimes it's not. And it takes work. And it takes, because you are a stranger. Hello, these are two strangers. You might share all kinds of DNA, but you got to get to know them right. the old-fashioned way, just like Laura was saying, which yeah. I thought was really smart, that intentional, you know, wanting to get to know people. Right. But that's that's my story. So, so Debbie, I, I'm really interested in the hesitation that you're that that you're having, and and not just why you're having it, which you explained, but what you think might get you past that. Uh, I mean, I think that's one of the things that people really struggle with is, sure. okay, I've, I've, I know this is out there and it's discoverable and I've got, a, a, you know, I've got a reason that I don't want to do it now, but what is the thing that, that will make sure. it okay for me to, to lean into that? What, what, well, you... you know, it's funny because my my past experience when I found my birth mother, um, she was thrilled. She was so happy, and it was it gave her such a sense of uh, completion and peace. I think in her life uh, that she knew where I was, and I found out that I had an older sister who had, had also been adopted. So I re you know I found her. <laughs> I did that and found her. Mm. And the funny thing, and what I what I found out during those uh, trying to make those relationships work was they were a lot of work, and they did disrupt a lot of lives. And you've really got to be emotionally like you got to be ready because it's Pandora's box. Mm. You're going to open this, and and I used to say for years and years, I just wanted to know who my birth mother was. Just wanted to know that. That's all I wanted to know. But when you open the Pandora's box, maybe that's a whole nother real life person who may want more, who may, you know, they have needs too. So it's not just your needs anymore. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And so you have to take that all into into consideration. So I look at this and I go, okay. And dudes, you know, just to say, a lot of times men don't take this as well as women. I don't know why that is, hmm. but it's a it's a is a male thing versus a female thing. That's interesting. Emotions, yeah. you know, I, I'm not sure, yeah. but I know that reaching out to these half brothers, you know, they're going to, you know, how are they going to take it? Is this, you know, yeah. now that I'm older, I mean, I found my birth mother. I think I was 40. Now this is 20 years later, so I, I've done a lot of living (laughs) between then and now and i've learned a lot about people do you know what i mean sure so now i'm kind of like you know i think i am going to reach out i I wrote out a wonderful letter um (laughs) that just says hey (laughs) you know guess what surprise um you know and try to be non-threatening and non you know like i don't want to be your sister and come over for thanksgiving you know and you know do everything with you like right now like you must be my best friend, my 
my brother right now. Sure. It's not like that. I, I would just, I would like to have coffee with yeah. them and okay, kind of look at them and go, hmm, Debbie, I, who I, do we look like? Yeah, I really appreciate you calling and, and sharing not only your story, but again, the thinking that you're doing and the feeling that you're having to do because of, of that story. I, uh, I'm really glad to have that as part of the conversation here. Uh, I, I want to read a comment from Twitter and then get to another call and, and have both our guests respond to, to the issue that, that they raise. Milo on Twitter says, I'd stay away from that. It's nothing more than a state-backed surveillance tool, talking about uh, DNA testing. And uh, let's hear from Anthony in southwest Detroit. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Hey, um, yeah, I was just going to say the similar things that Facebook comment you just mentioned, you know, I forget whether it was warrantless or not and uh-huh. which agency it was, but nonetheless, you know, the fact that Ancestry.com tried to fight the government agency, I, I got to say good on them for that. Um, so, so uh, Anthony, are you, are you in favor of the government regulating this more tightly or are you saying that, that they should stay out of it? Yeah, no, oh, regulating it? Well, I just don't think they should really have access to those when people think they're doing it to, you know, find their heritage. I don't think right. they should be using it. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, I appreciate the call and, and the comments. Uh, Brianne and Laura, I want you to react a little to the, the idea of privacy and the idea of giving your information to somebody who you're trusting will keep it secret and not use it in a in a nefarious way I, I i imagine that that's right at the center of a lot of the things that uh, you're dealing with brianne I'll, I'll start with you sure so i i hear privacy concerns a lot from people that are not um using the testing to search for biological family mm-hmm. so i think that you know the privacy concerns are are valid but they're really the luxury of people who already know their family so for people who are searching for biological family, the, the finding out, the searching, the knowing, that outweighs any risk to their privacy. Right. So, you know, if we want to solve this problem of, you know, um, of not having to use these tests, then let's have a cultural shift where we're honest. We don't keep family secrets. We don't keep adoptees' identities from them. You know, I think... Um, you know, the, there are valid privacy concerns, but in this situation, it's it's not the primary concern mm. for, for people searching. Yeah. Laura, did this ever enter your thinking? Well, my thinking is that, yes, privacy concerns, absolutely. But I would say more broadly, if you own a smartphone, if you own an Amazon Alexa, we all share these privacy concerns in different facets of our lives. So I think it's part of a broader challenge um, but to echo what Brianne said, you know, it the information that I could gain outweighed my concern about privacy. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really, that's all really amazing. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Laura Khalil and Brianne Kirkpatrick. We also want to continue to hear from you, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Patricia in Manchester, Sandra in St. Clair Shores, Mary in Livonia. We'll get to you. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back to more Detroit Today. 
You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Laura Khalil, Metro Detroit storyteller and public speaker, who found out at age 37 that the father she'd known her whole life was not her biological parent, and that she had nine siblings that she didn't know she was related to. We're also joined by Brianne Kirkpatrick, who is a genetic counselor and DNA consultant and founder and president of Watershed DNA. We're talking about DNA surprises, all of these services that now allow us to learn more about who we are, where we come from, and who we're related to, and the instances in which we get information back from those services that we were not expecting, things about our ethnic background, things about who our family members are or aren't. We especially want to hear from listeners in this segment about your experience with these services. Did you send your DNA away to one of these services and get back information that you never imagined you would? And how did you process that information if you discovered you had new relatives Have you formed relationships with them? And has that been easy to do or difficult to do? Has that made your life richer or more difficult to manage? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter. Put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Patricia in Manchester. Patricia, welcome to the show. Hi. 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 Um, Well, I'm 56 years old, and last January I found out that my dad is not my biological father. Mm. It's a very complicated story. Um, uh, My dad and and I did 23andMe. He had asked me and my brother to do it, you know, just because other family members were doing it. But when I did it, I didn't connect with him. So I noted that to him, and he said, oh, well, daughters don't match up with their fathers. But he was mistaken because all it is is mitochondrial DNA. You won't see us matching in that respect. So I I put it aside. We went on this nice family cruise, come home. I get a message because not only did I do 23andMe, it was originally for medical reasons. I did Ancestry because when 23andMe gave me my results, it said I was Italian. Hmm. I grew up all my life thinking I was Irish. Look, Irish. <laughs> you know? So that is why I did Ancestry, because my hus- husband had done Ancestry. He's like, oh, their results are more accurate. Well, this is how this lady got in touch with me. She saw me on Ancestry, not on 23andMe. If I hadn't done Ancestry, I would not know huh. that my dad is not my biological father. Wow. I would also not know that my brother, I, I have two, but my brother, who was a year, month, and a day, who was an Irish twin, um, is my full brother. We thought he was going to be my half-brother. Oh. We we had to push him to take the test as well. And, oh, my goodness, we were just so freaked out when we found out that he wasn't our dad's child either. Yeah. So, But but he, so, but he you, you you both share a father still? Yes. Okay. Same father. Okay. Same mother, yeah. Wow. Um, and it turns out that our biological father had died when I was three years old. Okay. Um, but the irony is we, we grew up in New York, and we lived near our families um, many times over. In Long Island, uh, uh, our family grew up, our dad um, and our sisters and our brother. We have, found out we have two sisters and a brother. We're not using half-sister and half-brother. Um, we all feel 
comfortable calling hmm. each other sis. So, and, so, you know, so do you mind asking me or, or me asking uh, uh, who your biological father was and and how that how that came to to pass that he was your biological father? Um. Well, my mother was young. She's about nineteen. Um, when she conceived me, and our dad was in the Navy. Okay. Um, and she was living in Queens, New York with her sister. And I guess loneliness, I don't know. But she was working at the restaurant that my biological father's family owned. Mm. Mm. Um, he was her boss. Wow. And, and tell me about the sort of emotional repercussions of all of this in your family. I, you mentioned that, for instance, your 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 relating to these siblings, these half-siblings, as though they're full siblings. You're not drawing distinctions. Does that mean that uh, that everything has, has, has gone smoothly and that, uh, that this has been a good thing for your life? Well, um, not everything's gone smoothly. It was kind of rough in the beginning because, you know, my identity was in crisis. Not only was I no longer Irish, I was Italian, um, but I had siblings I didn't know of, and, you know, dad wasn't my biological father. Sure. So, yeah, I went through that emotion initially. Um, but uh, the first person I had met actually was a niece, and that's, she was doing all this work, and that's who I met on Ancestry. But um, for my brother Danny, it was a huge thing for him, mm-hmm. absolutely huge. He didn't want to do the test because he was afraid of doing tests, and then when he did it, um, he, he, he actually broke down mm. um, over it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not been easy, the transition, but it's getting better. Right. I went down there, and I met um, my one brother and sister in Florida. They both live in Fort Lauderdale. So back last July, I went and visited them. Mm. Wow. And then again recently. Yeah. So that, that's been good, meeting yeah. them and seeing them and not just always being on the phone with them. Right. Patricia, so. I really appreciate the call and your sharing sharing your story uh we really we really uh i think uh, are benefiting from uh, your story being part of the conversation here let's go to sandra in st Clair shores sandra welcome to the show hi hey thank you for taking my call uh-huh. um my brother and i are adopted and my brother's college-age son wanted a dna kit so my brother got him one uh-huh. and when my nephew got the result he got an email from someone who said i think i'm related to you it turns out that my brother has two sisters who didn't know about him. Wow. And so one sister is more open than the other. He, he hasn't met either one of them, but they really didn't know he existed. And so I guess, you know, the reason that I called is, you know, there's a privacy issue, right? Mm-hmm. I'm adopted. I'm not going to do DNA in me. It doesn't, I, you know, I don't want to crack open that can of worms. Wow. But also, you know, you have to consider and, and be sensitive to the identity of the people that may be related to you that don't know anything about you, and perhaps there's a birth parent who's, you know, maybe kept something to themselves. Right. Um, my, bro- my brother's mother is, is passed away, so he, he can't really ask for her reasons, but, you know, these girls had no idea that my brother existed. Right, right. And, and the shock of that, I think, again, is something that has to be put into the equation here. I mean, you have to be able to, to account for not only your own feelings, but the feelings of the other, of the other people involved. Brianne and uh, Laura, I wonder if I can get you guys to react to, to, to the things, the stories that we've just heard. Laura, go ahead. Well, you know, I mean, I think 
that that caller brings up a great point. And there's a reason we haven't found our sperm donor daddy, so to speak, is because he's elected not to do DNA testing. And for very good reasons. Some of these people do not want to be found. And I feel very strongly about respecting the privacy of the donors if they do not want to be found because maybe they have a family. Hmm. Maybe they're really happy with their life as it is. And maybe they did it you know, to get a little bit of extra cash. Right, right. Uh, Brianne? So I tend to um, be more encouraging and supportive of of moving forward with the search for biological family. And the reasons for that are that, um, you know, secrets can't be kept indefinitely. And even though you don't take a test or uh, the person that you're related to directly doesn't take a test, if anyone in the family takes the test, mm-hmm. that connection can be made. So your your niece or nephew or your your own child, uh, it's just a matter of time in some situations that the the discovery is going to be made. And so um, instead of trying to perpetuate the the secret, I um, I kind of tend to support you know moving forward, but with support and understanding and seeking out. There are online support groups now for everybody that are involved in the situation, mm-hmm. um, including one for adoptees and people who are donor conceived and all of the relatives that they're related to. So, um, you know, I, it's hard to, to, to accept that secrets can't be kept indefinitely, but it's our new reality because of DNA testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Mary in Livonia. Mary, welcome hey, to the show. good morning. Yeah. My story's a little different. Um, my mother passed in 2006. Two days after she died, all the family secrets came out. And in 1958, I, my sister was born. Uh, my mother was Amish at the time. And she was shunned and kicked out of the family, and they kept the baby. Um, I had met my sister. Mm. Um, I actually remember saying to my mom, she's weird. What's wrong with her? Um, so the sibling rivalry was already there. Um, and so here's my question. How far of a net, how wide is, are these ancestry DNA tests? Um I don't even know if my sister's alive. I know that I have one niece um, who is Amish, because, again, when my sister Kathy had her baby, the Amish, my Amish family took her in. Mm. But some people in the family think she might have had other children who are just out there somewhere. Wow. So that's my question. Yeah, that's a great it's a great question. And I mean, it, it injects the, the sort of cultural dynamic that often I think comes up when you're when you're thinking about these things. Not everybody thinks of uh, these questions in, in the same way. Uh, Brianne, I, I would imagine that this is something you come across quite a bit. Yes. Yeah, so um, the short answer is that if, if you have a second cousin or closer match at one of the companies, that tends to be a close enough match that you can narrow down the family tree and um, start kind of build the family tree forward in time to identify the, all of the current generations and figure out where in the family you might be sitting. So that's kind of a, a general rule. And some people 
tests at multiple companies because you may get a closer match if you test at Ancestry or 23andMe or some mm. of the other companies offering the testing. It's going to be different in every situation, especially if it's involved in, in an ethnic group like, like the Amish, who probably are underrepresented. There are probably not as many people of that group who have tested. So it might take more time, more work, uh, and, and uh, just waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we have to end the show, Laura, I'm wondering if you can talk about what's next for you and your new family. <laughs> I mean, uh, where does it go from here? Well, we have a reunion plan for the summer and a few of us are actually going to head down to Dollywood together on a road trip. Wow. <laughs> to Dollywood? <laughs> How did you choose that? We love Dolly Parton. Uh, well, okay, of course. <laughs> I mean, come on, Stephen. <laughs> Get with else, it. <laughs> what else would be the reason for that, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, what happens is we stay friends, we hang out, we get to know one another better, and we you know, develop relationships. Yeah. Uh, is it possible that there are more of you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, when we spoke to Dr. Taylor, he said that he had about 30, between 30 and 40 successful inseminations. So those could be of other donors. Right. But it is absolutely possible that we will discover more siblings. More siblings and have more family to make a part of your life. It's a, it's such a wonderful story, and I'm so glad you were here. Thanks for having me. Us. Yeah. All right. Uh, Laura Khalil and Brianne Kirkpatrick, it was great to have both of you here for this conversation. That's going to do it for us this week. I will be back on Monday when we will talk with Michigan Supreme Court Justice Brian Zara about efforts to guarantee the right to an attorney for people who are involved in civil cases. Of course, there is a constitutional requirement that people get attorneys in criminal cases. Uh, there's a lot of talk lately about doing the same in civil cases. So we'll hear from Supreme Court Justice Zara about that on Monday. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.